Aloha, and welcome to the Ohana Stories Podcast, stories that bring communities together. I'm your host, Ross Chun, and this is another segment in a series with Family Promise of Orange County and their partners, all working together to end family homelessness across the county. Today, we're talking with Mel. Mel is an interpreter and a language translator, and she's working at the My Community, My Health Coalition, which was hosted by Ultimate. And that's how we met Mel. Well, Mel, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Absolutely. And I want to start off because I, you, you, you threw me off a little bit. I got a little nervous because I wanted to make sure I was saying your name correctly because I, I see it looks like your name is Melissa, but you pronounce it differently. So, so pronounce your first and last name for us. So my first and last name is Melissa Rivaldowski. Um, it's of Spanish and Polish origin. So in English, I just go by Mel because phonetically it's a lot easier to get out for English speakers. Um, yes. So call me Mel. Okay. So you are Mel to me. Yes. Um, and, and so that's great because you just, so you just gave us a little glimpse into the, the conversation we're going to have in just a few minutes. Um, and that has to do with your heritage, which is fascinating to me. But I, I always start off by asking, do you, do you recall how we met? Yeah, so we met a couple of weeks ago at the My Community, My Health Coalition meeting hosted by Altamed in the city of Downey, was it? Southgate? Southgate. Southgate, yes. Southgate. Um, it was a great event. It was hosted on a Wednesday morning, I recall, so it allowed a lot of people from different organizations to come out within their work hours and network and provide their resources to the people of Southgate. Um, who, Well, the services that I was there providing that day were people of non-English speaking background. Um, so the services that I was providing were of translation and interpretation. And it was such a privilege because a lot of the people that were there were people that want to participate in their community, want access to resources, but because of the language barrier, maybe didn't know how to access them in the first place. Um, and that was the day that we met. And it's been, it's been a couple of weeks since. A couple Lost of weeks. my voice in between all of that. <laughs> yes, illness and recovery has taken place. Yeah. But I, so that was a fascinating event for me. That was the first time I'd been to that event. And that was my first exposure to my community, my health. Um, and it was the first time that I saw live in-person translation. So when I walked in, I saw you in the back of the room with a table with technology in front of you and a big smile on your face. And I was there um, representing the nonprofit that I work for, Family Promise of Orange County. And I didn't know what to expect except that we were in a big auditorium and then I came back and chatted with you briefly and was just fascinated that we were gonna have live translation. Now, here was the unique part, and this is incredible because I go to a lot of meetings. I go to governmental meetings, I go to NGO meetings, I do all kinds of things, and I have never heard this explanation before. But in this particular case, the presentation was done in Spanish, and then you were translating to English. Mm -hmm. In fairness to the, the population who is always used to having the presentations given to them in English, and they have to hear the Spanish translation, that's the first time I've ever heard of that. Right. And that, that is an incredible perspective for someone like me, an English speaker. I'm a native Hawaiian, but I only speak English. <laughs> and to come in there and to be able to see what you were doing and hear what you were doing um, through headphones and understand that this meeting was turned on its head 
in fairness to those those uh, attendees who were Spanish speakers. Do, have you seen this before? Do you do these types of meetings? It's not common. Um, typically in my field of work, I'll interpret into Spanish rather than English as well as translation. Most of my translation is done into Spanish as well. So it was shortly before the event that my boss told me, hey, by the way, you're doing it into English, not Spanish. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> um, sure, that, absolutely. Um, but it was, I didn't want to get ahead of myself when I introduced the event itself, but that was probably the most contrasting detail, I'd say, of the, the whole event. Um, just because it, it was also an amazing experience for me to be able to witness that happening mm -hmm. because it's true as you say a lot of the a lot of the people in that population have no idea what's going on around them in english mm -hmm. and they go to these events and and they're trying to participate and keep up with all of the changes that happen in government that happen in the organizations that provide the resources that maybe they need and they rely on someone like me interpreting to them into Spanish. So the fact that Altamed and the other organizations that were there presenting that day did that, and like you said, turned the whole event on its head and, and catered to that population instead of the English-speaking population, which is dominant, was, was beautiful. It really was. It was a beautiful experience, and it was also fascinating to me to, to recognize the skill of of live translation like that. Now, we were just talking about, uh, we're here in the administrative offices of Family Promise, and so we um, do not have case managers here um, or social workers, but periodically, families will come and knock on our door. They'll look us up somehow, and they'll come and think that they can get uh, social services here. And this just happened yesterday, and a family, a husband and wife and four children came here mm. and knocked on the door, and I'm here with our executive director, uh, Brian Lake, who was on a previous segment of this podcast, and neither one of us speaks Spanish. And there was a complete inability to even convey that they were in the wrong place or call this phone number. And, and I think that that is unfortunately a common circumstance when, as you said, the, the dominant language is English and then there is a segment, sometimes a large segment of the mm -hmm. population who needs services or who needs to make a connection and there's a language barrier. Yeah. So when I saw you and understood what you were doing, first of all, I was so grateful that your service exists. Um, but then I was also, I was fascinated that the organization came up with this idea. So first of all, you are you working for a private agency that does translation? Is that what you're what you're doing? That is correct. So I work for an agency called Culture Bridges, um, and we do provide professional translation and interpretation services. We started off exclusively working for different governments in Southern California. Um, then pandemic hit, and we were able to expand our work remotely. And so now we have a couple of contracts up north in Northern California as well. Um, and it wasn't too long ago where through our government work, different nonprofit organizations that attended the same government meetings at which we provided our services started reaching out and saying, Hey, you know, we could really, we could really use your help. Um, I work for so-and-so nonprofit. I work with this organization. Um, we're having an event on such and such date. Would you be able to make it out? And that's how the agency that I work for, which is a very small agency, has been growing over the last few years. Um, but it's a, it's a wonderful, I think it's a wonderful resource that we provide just because it really does cater to such an important need here. 
uh, because like you said, there are a lot of people that live here that have lived here their whole lives. I know you come from Hawaii, um, where I'm assuming between English and many different languages, many different languages, yes. there must be some way that people learn to communicate amongst each other. But unfortunately, that's not always common here. You have first generation immigrants that rely on their children to translate at open house meetings at school. Such was my case. Um, you have people that rely on on-site translators and interpreters when you're going into the medical field. But if those people aren't available at organizations like the one you work at, then that barrier is very limiting to either side, to, to both to the person that's trying to reach a resource and the person that's really wanting to provide it, but because of the language barrier has no way of communicating when they should come back, who they should go to if not here. Um, and so that's that's what we seek to do. Well, so you, it's incredible that you use the, that particular example because um, I actually experienced that very example just a few years ago in the city where I live now, Aliso Viejo. Mm -hmm. So I and I we we haven't talked extensively, so I don't know if you know this or not, but I, I'm a government official from Aliso Viejo, so okay. I'm on the city council, okay. um, and uh, we had an issue in the city within the city boundaries. Um, in a particular neighborhood that was over 95% Spanish speaking. Okay. And the community objected to something. And so the families came, the parents came to the microphone, but in some cases, elementary school age mm -hmm. children were translating what yeah. the parents were saying. And that was a, a, a fascinating exchange to witness <laughs> that, especially since in, in some cases, the children didn't really understand the meaning of what they were translating. Right. So um, in some cases, the city council had to ask for clarification. And if we used a word that this young person was not accustomed to hearing, mm -hmm. it confused matters even worse. Right. And, and when you're trying to interpret a government policy through a third grader, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's just fraught with potential jeopardy. And so I recognized then how important um, breaking this language barrier or bridging it, mm -hmm. as as your agency is called, um, uh, is is critical, especially in government work, because sometimes you're talking about development projects, sometimes you're talking about community grants, sometimes you're talking about safety issues that need right. to be conveyed. Mm -hmm. So you work with government entities. I do, and in the process of our expansion, we did start working with certain developers um, that would also travel around because of their method of work and visit different cities, uh, which is another way that we were, have been able to network. Um, but it really is all based off of a need. Like I said, you know, growing up, having been an immigrant child, um, my parents relied heavily on <laughs> my interpretation skills at the age of six, eight, ten. Wow. Um, I grew up attending a church in which there was also a need because the church began to grow and there was a, a language barrier within the church. And again, because of a need that needed to be fulfilled, you take on the hat of an interpreter and say, well, I can help, I think, <laughs> and you learn. Mm -hmm, and, it's mm -hmm. a, and it's a huge learning curve because you're incorporating not just a new language, but all the rhetoric that pertains to different fields of work. Um, but it's exciting. Mm -hmm, I, I personally mm -hmm. love what I do. <laughs> well, it, it, I, I see the excitement and I, I see um, the unique qualities of that job, but also you, you can help 
in in some cases, government entities sidestep a potential problem. And mm -hmm. I'm going to give you this example that maybe you'll think about later on, but it's one of the um, embarrassing missteps that my city took just a few years ago in this community, the Spanish-speaking community. As local government, we thought we were doing a great thing. We got a grant. Um, we renovated uh, the 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 um, uh, recreational area at at our boys and girls club. There was okay. a big field there, so. Local government thinking that we're doing a great thing. We got a grant and we built this beautiful softball field. Mm -hmm. We had a ribbon cutting. All the families came out. We cut the ribbon and, and presented it proudly to the community. And someone came up to me and said, you know, we don't play softball. We play soccer. And oh, no. so all we were thinking about is, well, we <laughs> think so softball is a popular sport. Mm -hmm. No one stopped to ask the community. And part of it was the language barrier. Right. If we had had a forum and we had translation services mm -hmm. and people could say, we'd love a soccer field. Now, I will say this. I went back to that area recently and we ended up converting it to a soccer field. Okay. So wasted tax dollars, but we actually got it right the second time around. <laughs> so that's government at its, at its probably worst, um, not listening to the community. So... So when, when I saw what you were doing, and, and my, ex, my exposure or experience um, with translation is so limited, it's TV and movies. Mm -hmm. And so um, I you know, think on the TV series MASH, I saw them translating uh, for um, the United Nations. And then um, in, uh, there has been a couple of movies where um, I, in one, Nicole Kidman was the translator and she heard something in another oh, line. Oh, great film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've seen that, but I've never seen somebody actually doing it. And so when I, I was trying to pay attention and I was listening to you, but I kept turning around and looking at you. <laughs> and so I, I do have this personal question uh, from my perspective. When, when the presenters were speaking, mm -hmm. how close to what they're saying are you translating? I mean, you're not changing... Um, anything but if they say something you smooth things out if their grammar isn't quite right or do you just literally translate well that's that's actually a great question and something i common talk, commonly talk about with my peers because there's there's um a conflict of interest if you are changing what they're saying which mm -hmm. is never obviously our intention and it would we wouldn't be doing our job correctly if we did do that um, I have been in situations in which I've had to interpret things which I would have probably not preferred to say oh. But because in that position, I'm not myself I'm literally representing whoever's speaking in a different language. I have no right to Impose my own way of thinking or my own way of speaking in situations in which people were maybe being unnecessarily aggressive or you know a lot of government hearings will have Profanity members <laughs> that'll come up to the podium and use profanity um, And when it's profanity that's unnecessary to translate, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I will leave it out um, And I'll communicate everything that they said without the injection of an adjective that was profane and completely unnecessary <laughs> um, But in other cases, let's say a person does make a grammatical mistake if it's making my job more difficult because I can't quite understand what they're trying to say because maybe they're not even sure what they're trying to say because we're all human. Um, then sometimes I will pause and wait to take in the message itself and not just the words that they're using to convey it to better convey the message that they're trying to say in Spanish or English. Um, and sometimes depending on how they speak, I will have to chop it up in a literary manner um, and translate 
verbally, word for word, hoping and praying to God that the message is getting through. Um, so every case is different just because everybody's way of speaking is so different. Um, I will say sometimes simultaneous interpretation, which is what I did that day where the speaker isn't pausing and waiting for me to speak after they finish a sentence, will sometimes be easier because it'll allow me that opportunity to take in a message itself and communicate whatever's trying to be relayed. Although consecutive translation will also give me the liberty to keep up mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and not have to rack my mind every time they I come up on a word that maybe I'm not familiar with because I'm interpreting for the first time in a different sector um, or within a different field of work. So consecutive is great when the person themselves knows how to pace themselves as well. Sometimes we'll have people that will spew out five sentences and then stop and wait for you to translate or interpret. And of those five sentences, you gathered the main ideas, but there's no way you could possibly recall word for word what they said and interpret liter literally, uh, which consecutive would allow you to, or simultaneous would allow you to do that. But if a person, on the other hand, chops sentences up into five different clauses, allowing you to interpret, that also makes it difficult for you because of the way grammar structures work in either language. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there's a huge science behind it. I actually, I went to school, one of my two degrees is in Spanish language and literature. And when you study, um, I don't know any of these words in English, that's funny. Oh. Um, morphology and the syntax of sentences mm -hmm, and the way mm -hmm. grammar works and how in Spanish, for example, you have gender association with certain words. And the grammar will change according to the gender occasionally. Um, then there can be minor complications, but I don't want to lose our listeners with <laughs> explaining morphology and stuff like that. Well, but but so you I, I, you know when you were speaking just now, I was wondering if I had asked you this question, but I haven't. But that was that you, you actually touched on my, my next question because mm -hmm. I was thinking back to an episode of The West Wing. I I make this joke with my wife. I always say that every. Every question in, in our society can be answered by an episode of The West Wing or Star Trek, and she <laughs> hates it when I say that. But, but there was an episode of The West Wing where um, uh, the, the, um, the uh, government official from China um, was going to be speaking, mm -hmm. and that, that question came up of um, how it should be translated. And, uh, okay, so what are the two... The two ways of translating it's it's you can do simultaneous simultaneous or consecutive. or consecutive and consecutive is one where you get it in bits and then you and you right okay. so you speak i speak you speak I okay speak. Mm -hmm. so that was the thing that this particular politician his staff said well that ruins the cadence he has a specific way of delivering right and and so you will you will ruin the cadence and then he will lose his place mm -hmm. so is that something that you see that people aren't able to to uh translate that way or have be translated that way because of that it's very common especially people that grew up in in a world where they never needed translation or interpretation they're not used to pausing or formulating their sentences in a specific way i've like also been able to work with people who have grown up in a world where translation and interpretation was common and so they themselves it was it was interesting to see behind the scenes if i may 
the the thought patterns that both individuals have the kind of individual that isn't used to hearing a second language and forming their sentences in a way or pausing when they speak in a certain way to allow for translation and interpretation and in a world or in a community that is used to that and is used to maybe a more linear thought process so that whoever's interpreting for them won't get lost either um, but that is very common that we're, I'll see people lose cadency or will go to great lengths to not lose cadency and unfortunately jeopardize the translation or interpretation in a con which is consecutive in that manner um, mm -hmm. as well because something has to take priority well and and there is a there is a um, very apparent example of, of of this problem right now that's going on if you go to government meetings or if you and i'm going to ask you if you've noticed this because it happens to me all the time or if you go to school meetings mm -hmm. so when you say the pledge of allegiance there is a way of saying it that americans are accustomed to right and there is this new movement of changing it because it's not it, for as long as we've been saying the pledge of allegiance it's been apparently the, the cadence has been wrong Really? So, um, and so what, what about half of government officials are trying to do is get people to do it the right way. And what ends up happening is half the room is saying it at one speed, the other. <laughs> so and I think it's, uh, you say, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States, to the Republic. Oh, when you say one nation under God, you're not supposed to pause after uh, under God. That's what it is. And so some people say one nation under God, pause, indivisible. Mm -hmm. And then about half people go, one nation under God indivisible, and they move right into it, and right. then everyone is off. Interesting. And, and, and I, so you haven't noticed that? No, I haven't. I know people who are dedicated to changing the cadence of the of the Pledge of Allegiance because they say it's been wrong for three hundred years. And so, <laughs> um, so that was what I was thinking of when I was thinking about the cadence and and how you were translating at that meeting. Mm -hmm. um, everyone has to agree on right. what they're doing; otherwise, people get confused or people are stepping on each other verbally. Right. Which is something that when you're interpreting simultaneously, you can opt out of, if I may, um, because there's no pause. The person is speaking the way they think. They follow along the points, which will sometimes make it a little more difficult for the interpreter. Um, but there, then cadency remains in its place because the person speaking, the orator or the government official or the person giving a presentation has the liberty to speak however they may. And it's just my job to keep up. So there are pros and cons to both methods, to both simultaneous and consecutive. It really all falls on what the person speaking is used to, mm -hmm. um, whether they have the aptitude of being mindful of someone that's trying to capture everything that they're communicating. And when I say aptitude of being mindful, I don't mean to um, mm, disregard or, or make less of the people that don't have that skill set. It really is just something that people incorporated incorporate out of need or lack thereof. If there's never been a need, then there's no reason why you would need that skill set, and that's absolutely fine as well. Um, but we all come from such different worlds, and that's why the art of interpretation and translation has so many different components to it, um, because it is very humane. You know, and if I may, I'm a 25 year old, so I'm, I'm a little, I'm watching the world around me and seeing AI being introduced and how AI is taking over so many different markets. And there's less of a need for human profession and certain human skill sets, supposedly, 
because of AI. So now people don't rely on translators to translate books because AI can just do that for you. But there's this human factor that AI hasn't incorporated yet of being able to interpret connotations, interpret tones of voice. AI, I don't think, has gotten that far where it can pick up on slang or on different tones and pitches and nervous laughter and things like that that I I think makes us still relevant in today's world, despite mm-hmm. it constantly changing and in changing in such drastic ways. So... And and it's amazing that you brought that up because I was going to ask you about AI. And, and the reason this came up to me, it, this just came up last night mm-hmm. where somebody was using voice to text and um, okay. it didn't translate properly. Right. And I did not understand what they were trying to communicate. <laughs> and I was reading it. And um, so I, it was later than I would have normally called this person, but I said, I don't understand what you were saying. Right. And could you explain and he said, I'm, I'm really sorry. I was voice to text and I, I paused in the middle oh. and then I changed my train of thought and mm-hmm. it came out wrong. I said, you, you understand that you conveyed opposing views in this statement to me. He goes, yes. And, <laughs> and so I was thinking about AI and I was thinking about that because I know a college professor who was dealing with having to read uh, students' work mm-hmm. and detect, run it through uh, to detect if the AI is being used to compose. And in your, yours is the job that, that isn't a concern because we need the human side of what you're doing. You would think so. I, I would hope so. Yeah. But one never knows. And it's, and it's changing so rapidly. Um, I, know, I know a lot of translators who are out of work in translation specifically. As an interpreter, I'm not too concerned because of the human factor. But within translation, there are so many different tools. Um, again, I don't want to. I don't want to waste time going into detail like I went into with my college degree. No, but that was. <laughs> um, I know I can go off in tangents, but there are so many different translation tools that people are relying for, relying on for, um, not substitutes, subtitles. For example, mm-hmm. I have a friend of mine and and great coworker and colleague. Um, specializes in sub in subtitle translation, mm-hmm. and because of AI, a lot of her colleagues in that field are out of jobs. Really? Yeah, huh. it's insane. Because because that's and, I, and as someone who sorry to no, no 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 but as someone who <laughs> I still watch films with subtitles uh-huh, just uh-huh. because of the way my brain works, and so sometimes I'm listening to a, a, a film in English, reading the subtitles in Spanish, and picking up on mistakes, and I'm saying, who thought this, who, who okayed this? So that's what I was going to say, yeah, is yeah, because yeah. I have caught things, and I'm thinking, I know that's not what it's supposed to be, <laughs> and I wonder, because if it's an old film, mm-hmm. and why has this gone on for decades, and no one has gone, you know, that's not what that was supposed right. to say. So that's, well, that's good news that uh, we rely on, on the human aspect of that translation. So I don't, wanna, I don't want to end without asking you this question because one of the things that I want to talk to you about was your, your heritage. And part of my question is because, so when I was at the, this, this uh, conference or meeting, mm-hmm. um, our uh, director of programs was with me. You met him, Jacek. Yes. And Jacek is from Poland, mm-hmm. and you have Polish heritage. I do. Uh, but is your accent, because Jacek has a, he, he jokes about his accent because it's very pronounced. Um, is your accent uh, Polish or is it Spanish? No, my accent would be Spanish. It is. Um, Fascinating. Okay. But, so my, I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina. 
uh, academically educated in the United States and raised going back and forth. But my ancestry, my grandparents and great grandparents immigrated from Poland and Ukraine right before the Second World War because of the rumors that were spreading at the time. Oh. Um, so my dad does have a very particular accent in Spanish because he was raised in a household where the dominant language was Polish and Ukrainian or Polish and Russian. Um, that's a whole nother ordeal because of course USSR would impose Russian speak, um, the Russian language in all of the different Slavic countries that were under the regime. Um, so my dad has, I would say a Russian accent when he speaks Spanish and I have a Spanish accent when I speak English. <laughs> um, but you know, thank you so much for asking me that because I would just, as someone who I'm a big believer in family, which is why I was so excited to come on this podcast. Um, it, it really is a privilege to do what I do, not just because I see the need and, and I see how much I can help and give back to the communities that I participate in, but also because I think it's a way of extending my family's legacy because I do what I do because my dad did it as well. And my dad was also an interpreter, but from Russian or Ukrainian into Spanish. So now being able to do it myself from Spanish into English or vice versa, just as my dad did vice versa as well, is it's an, it's an amazing privilege to say I've, I've carried on with my family's legacy. Um, wow. I did not know you were going to say that. That is a fantastic comment because I actually, I have a friend and one of his main uh, vocations is is translating mm-hmm. Russian and Ukrainian. Oh wow! And and he he translates and edits political uh, publications. Amazing. And and um, when he and and we have been together, and someone will come up and speak to him, mm-hmm. and he'll respond, and I'll say, what what language was that? Mm-hmm. He says Ukrainian. I said, because I swear it sounded Russian. And he goes, they're very similar. They're very similar. And I said, are they so similar that you drift back and forth between the two? Or can you tell when you're speaking one or the other? And he said, you know what? Until you said that, I never really thought about it. I responded. They understood what I was saying. Right. And and so I was wondering about you. I was wondering, Mel, if if just like they, they say to doctors... After a while, do you just end up seeing everyone as a, a group of symptoms? Mm. When you talk to people, do you do, is your ear such that you can hear um, maybe their heritage or where they're from, or if they're from uh, a geography or a culture similar to yours, do you hear that? Absolutely, but because in Spanish, um, regionalism has played such a such an important role in the way the different dialects or the different Spanish spoken in different regions has evolved that I can typically pick up on the drastic differences. I'm not, I will say, I'm not, I'm not great at distinguishing whether I'm speaking to someone of Guatemalan heritage or Mexican heritage, especially because within Mexico itself, there are so many different regions and so many different evolutions of the language itself. You have people from the North speaking in a very different way in a different manner with a different intonation even than the people from the south different regions different even something that plays in with the way language evolves is the socioeconomic status of the people oh, of certain regions interesting i in buenos aires we speak a type of spanish that is called rio platense castellano rio platense which i i, I was I, just gonna say look that in your eyes yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's a very different 
origin just because the Spanish that we speak there also has a particular origin within Spain. And so that there's again so many different factors that play into a way the the, the different ways a language is spoken, a way, the way a language evolves. Um, so I can pick up on the drastic differences if someone is from a region similar to mine, if they're from Argentina or Uruguay, I can definitely pick it up. Chileans also have a very particular way of speaking Spanish. I'll typically pick that one up as well. Um, but then once you hit the central region of America, people that come from El Salvador or Guatemala or Mexico, I have a I have more of a difficulty just because it wasn't what I grew up hearing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it, it does sound much more similar. So what I have gained from this fascinating conversation is that everything that you do comes back to your heritage and your family and your love of what you learn from your father and your extended family because what you're doing is not just translating but you're bringing you're bridging these gaps to yeah. communities and you're bringing the communities closer together i yeah. i think that it is an amazing career um i i have to i cannot thank you enough for joining me on this conversation i feel like we're gonna have to have another conversation because you got you touched on so many cultural things that i want to <laughs> i want to circle back another time absolutely but mel thank you so much for joining thank us you. and i i um i want to wish you the best of luck and i i suspect we're going to cross paths again because so. of what you do so thank you so much thank you so much